Good evening. Welcome to Voice in the Wilderness. I'm Don Noble of Pure Heart Ministries, and I welcome you today with exceedingly great joy. Tonight's message, Reversing the Lie. And I want to just say this up front. This is probably one of the most important messages that I have given uh, maybe ever. I'm just kind of astonished at at what I've uncovered and what I'm about to share with you. So I hope you hang in there and listen to the end. Last week, we celebrated Independence Day, and that's always a day of fun for me. And we had a great time at my house. I'm sure you had a joyous celebration at your home as well. Some people go to the park and get to watch the fireworks. But it seems as though most have forgot the importance of that day. Now, its importance is obvious. It marked the beginning of our freedom. But we seem to live in a new era where people want to either rewrite our history or delete important historical facts. Now, we know that children's textbooks in some states They are trying to remove historical experiences like the American Revolution, the Civil War, World War I, and World War II. Now, how do you you just delete that from our history books? That is our history. I'm worried, I should say concerned, about the upcoming generation of children who will know nothing about our heritage, nothing about our foundation, nothing about what we have experienced as a nation. Now, to add to the racial division in our country that we are experiencing at the moment, there are two individuals, Nicole Hannah-Jones, remember that name, Nicole Hannah-Jones, and Dean Bacay. They decided to rewrite our history by coming up with the 1619 Project. Now, I've talked about the 1619 Project briefly in the past, but I think it's relevant again, considering that we have just celebrated our Independence Day. Leslie M. Harris is a professor of history at Northwestern University, and she is the author of the book, In the Shadow of Slavery, African Americans in New York City, 1626 to 1863, and also the book Slavery and the University, Histories and Legacies. And she said that on August 19th of last year, she said, I listened in stunned silence as Nicole Hannah-Jones, a reporter for the New York Times, repeated an idea that I had vigorously argued against. Her premise for the 1619 Project was this, that the Patriots fought the American Revolution in large part to preserve the institution of slavery in the colonies, which had produced tremendous wealth. Notice the words, in large part, to preserve the institution of slavery. That's the gist of the 1619 Project. Now, who is 
this Nicole Hannah-Jones? Well, she's a black investigative journalist known for her coverage of civil rights in the United States. In April 2015, she became a staff writer for the New York Times, and in 2020, she won the Pulitzer Prize for commentary for her work on the 1619 Project. Wow, a Pulitzer Prize for something that's not true. Hmm. She was educated at Notre Dame and the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Who is Dean Bacay? Well, he's also a black American journalist, and he served as the first black executive editor of the New York Times from 2014 clear till recent June 2022. Educated at Columbia University, but he did not graduate. Now, these two people, both well-educated and in prominent positions with the New York Times, one of the most prominent newspapers in the world, wouldn't you think that they would want to look at all the facts and know the truth about their black heritage, their black descendants? No. The answer is no. No, they want to push a narrative, and this is the narrative, that our ancestors mainly fought against the British to preserve and keep slavery. So if you haven't read the Declaration of Independence recently, and you probably haven't, because, hey, how often do we read that? I'm going to read it for you. And I want you to tell me what is the truth and what is the lie. And I think you're going to be appalled about what you're to hear shortly. So here goes. The Declaration of Independence in Congress, July 4th, 1776. The unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. When... In the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. Okay, I'm going to stop there. You see, they're going to declare, you're going, you need to listen carefully to this about what I'm sharing, because these are the reason, the causes that they're declaring, this is the declaration, the causes which impel them, motivate them to this separation from Great Britain. Okay, we hold these truths to be self-evident. You're familiar with this, that all men are created equal that they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Okay, maybe you didn't catch that. Governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent, that's us, of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, 
It is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Now, considering what is going on in our nation now, it seems as though our government has destructive ends. Wide open borders, fentanyl coming across, millions of illegal aliens coming across. We have uh, murders just unleashed in these large cities like crazy. We have gas prices that are off the charts. We have people that are struggling because of our government and the things that they have proposed. So, we the people, we have a right, it says here. We have a right to abolish this government and institute a new government (laughs) that would affect our safety and our happiness. Well, I'm all for it. Let me go on. Prudence, indeed, will dictate the government's long-established should not be changed for light and transient causes. I would say that what we are experiencing right now in the United States, these are not light or transient causes. And accordingly, all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, hello, pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies. And such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. The history of the present King of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. To prove this, let facts be submitted to a candid world. He, the King has refused his assent to laws, the most wholesome and necessary for the public good. He, the king, has forbidden his governors to pass laws of immediate and pressing importance unless suspended in their operation till his assent should be attained. And when so suspended, he has utterly, the king, has utterly neglected to attend to them. He, the king, has refused to pass other laws for the accommodation of large districts of people unless those people would relinquish the right of representation in the legislature, a right inestimable to them and formidable to tyrants only. He, the king, has called together legislative bodies at places unusual, uncomfortable, and distant from the depository of their public records, for the sole purpose of fatiguing them into compliance with his measures. He, the king, 
has dissolved representative houses repeatedly for opposing, with manly firmness, firmness, his invasions on the rights of the people. His invasions on the rights of the people. The king has refused for a long time after such dissolutions to cause others to be elected, whereby the legislative powers, incapable of annihilation, have returned to the people at large for their exercise. The state, remaining in the meantime exposed to all the dangers of invasion from without and convulsions within. He, the king, has endeavored to prevent the population of these states, for that purpose obstructing the laws for naturalization of foreigners, refusing to pass others to encourage their migrations hither, and raising the conditions of new appropriations of lands. He, the king, has obstructed the administration of justice by refusing his assent to laws for establishing judici ju judiciary powers. He has made judges dependent on his will alone for the tenure of their offices and the amount and payment of their salaries. He, the king, has erected a multitude of new offices and sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people and eat out their substance. Hmm. He, the king, has kept us, kept among us in times of peace, standing armies without the consent of our legislatures. He, the king, has affected to render the military independent of and superior to the civil power. He, the king, has combined with others to subject us to a jurisdiction foreign to our constitution and unacknowledged by our laws, giving his assent to their acts of pretended legislation. For the following for quartering large bodies of armed troops among us, for protecting them by a mock trial from punishment for any murders which they should commit on the inhabitants of these states, for cutting off our trade with all parts of the world, for imposing taxes on us without our consent, for depriving us in many cases for the benefit of trial by jury, for transporting us beyond seas, to be tried for pretended offenses, for abolishing the free system of English laws in a neighboring province, establishing therein an arbitrary government and enlarging its boundaries so as to render it at once an example and fit instrument for introducing the same absolute rule into these colonies, for taking away our charters, abolishing our most valuable laws, and altering, fundamentally, the forms of our governments, for suspending our own legislatures and declaring themselves invested with power to legislate for us in all cases whatsoever. He has abdicated government here by declaring us out of his protection and waging war against us. He has plundered our seas, ravaged our coast, burnt our towns, and destroyed the lives of our people. 
He, the king, is at this time transporting large armies of foreign mercenaries to complete the works of death, desolation, and tyranny already begun, with circumstances of cruelty and perfidy scarcely paralleled in the most barbarous ages, and totally unworthy the head of a civilized nation. He, the king, has constrained our fellow citizens taken captive on the high seas to bear arms against their country, to become the executioners of their friends and brethren, or to fall themselves by their hands. He, the king, has excited domestic insurrections among us and has endeavored to bring on the inhabitants of our frontiers, the merciless Indian savages, whose known rule of warfare is an undistinguished destruction of all ages, sexes, and conditions. In every stage of these oppressions, we have petitioned for redress in the most humble terms. Our repeated petitions have been answered only by, by repeated injury. A prince, whose character is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant, is unfit to be the ruler of a free people. Nor have we been wanting in our attentions to our British brethren. We have warned them from time to time of attempts by their legislature to an extend unwarrantable jurisdiction over us. We have reminded them of the circumstances of our emigration and settlement here. We have appealed to their native justice and magnanimity, and we have conjured them by the ties, conjured them by the ties of our common kindred to disavow their these usurpations, which would inevitably interrupt our connections and correspondence. They too have been deaf to the voice of justice and of consanguinity. We must, therefore, acquiesce in the, necessi in the necessity which denounces our separation and hold them, as we hold the rest of mankind, enemies in war, in peace, friends. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America and General Congress assembled, appealing to the Supreme Judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do, in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are, and of right, ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved, and that as free and independent states, they have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Okay, now you've heard it. And obviously, you can Google it and read it again for yourself. But my point, did you hear anything in any of the reasons why they wanted to separate from Great Britain? Did you hear anything about preserving slavery? No. No, you didn't. And the reason you didn't is because in the very beginning, what 
was the statement that we've all heard, we've all said, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. So the 1619 Project is nothing but a hoax. It's a lie. And that lie has to be reversed. Now, you may not be familiar with Tim Barton. He's the president of Wall Wall Builders, a national organization dedicated to highlighting the true facts about the founding of America, our Constitution, and our rich history. He and his father, David, David actually started Wall Builders. And these two men, they are fabulous to listen to. And they know more history than you can shake a stick at. I mean, it's incredible what they know. But David uh, and Timothy have, you know, studied the origins of America. And Tim wrote an article in the Epic Times, and I want to share some of that with you. Um, and the reason that they released the 1619 Project in the fall of 2019, because it was the four hundredth anniversary of the first American slaves arriving in the territory. So they say. Now, the New York Times sought to completely alter the story of America's past. And that's the thing that gets me. You know, this big, reputable newspaper just totally altered our historical facts. And despite the fact that this project is now three years old, it carries substantial weight and was even released in book form in the late in late 2021. Millions of dollars from backers have ensured that the 1619 Project has managed to slip into virtually every classroom in the United States. So it's worthwhile that we understand what is happening. The opening page of the 1619 Project asks this question. What if we were to tell you that this fact, which is taught in our schools and unanimously celebrated every 4th of July, is wrong, and that the country's true birth date, the moment that its defining contradictions first came into the world, was in the late August of 1619? (sighs) The alleged importance of the year 1619, it explains, is that the year was when a ship arrived at Point Comfort in the British colony of Virginia bearing a cargo of 20 to 30 enslaved Africans. Their arrival inaugurated a barbaric system of chattel slavery that would last for the next 250 years. This is sometimes referred to as the country's original sin, but it is more than that. It is the country's very origin, the introduction reads. This introduction of black slaves into Virginia, only a short distance from the Jamestown colony, is the premise upon which the rest of the 1619 Project flows. The introduction proceeds to claim that, quote, out of slavery grew nearly everything that has truly made America exceptional. Its economic might, its industrial power, its electoral system, among a litany of other things. Slavery they claim, is the defining part of America's past and the interpretive framework through which everything ought to be viewed. However, the biggest problem with this is that it's 100%, 100% historically wrong. 
1619 wasn't the nation's true birth date. Nor was it the beginning of chattel slavery. Nor was it even the first time African slaves were brought to the continental America. To start with, slavery existed in the Americas long before any European so much as even dreamed of crossing the vast expanse of the Atlantic Ocean. When Columbus and subsequent Spanish explorers landed in the New World, they discovered that slavery was already deeply entrenched in the indigenous societies here. Indeed, slavery was ubiquitous in pre-Columbian America. The native slave trade was so prolific that whenever European conquistadors set foot in the American tropics, they found evidence of indigenous warfare, war captives, and captive slaves, said Fernando Santos Granero, who wrote in his book Vital Enemies. Modern estimates suggest that 20 to 40 percent of the Native American cultures were enslaved, putting them on par with the slave empires of the ancient Greeks, Imperial Romans, and even the Confederate South. African slaves were introduced to what would later become the continental United States by the Spanish in early as 1526, when they attempted to plant a colony along the Carolina coast with seven vessels, 600 men and women, among whom were several slaves and 83 horses, as the Georgia Historical Society recounted in 1923. In 1528, another Spanish expedition set out to explore the continental mainland of America, and it was led by Panfilo de Narvez, who brought with him nearly 400 men, both black and white, among whom was the famed African slave from Morocco named Estevanico. Even if we were to dismiss these two events as outliers and failed ventures, the Spanish still brought nearly 500, American, 500 African slaves when they successfully founded the permanent colony of St. Augustine, in 1565. Lastly, the evidence suggests that the Africans brought to Jamestown in 1619 were incorporated into the colony not as slaves, but rather as indentured servants. The year prior to their arrival, the Jamestown colony began a system where an enterprising captain or shipowner would in himself enlist recruits at London, and on arrival at Jamestown, the recruits would be auctioned off to the highest bidder for a specified term. Therefore, in 1619, when a privateer brought a captured ship to Jamestown with about 20 African slaves on board, the slaves weren't technically sold into slavery, but rather indentured. At the end of their indentured term, the Africans' servants would be freed, just like the white indentured servants from England. Afterward, many were given land to farm and became members of society. One of the original 1619 Africans, Anthony Johnson, actually became a substantial landowner and found the environment of 17th century Virginia conducive to the amassing of property in land or chattel, said James Brewer, who wrote for the William and Mary Quarterly. So then, what may, actually, what may be actually said about the year 1619? Well, it wasn't when slavery was introduced to America. Slavery was a widespread practice among the Native Americans. It wasn't the first time African Americans were introduced to America. That was in 1526. It wasn't the first time African slaves were introduced to a permanent settlement in the land that would eventually become 
the United States. That was 1565. So ultimately, historically, what can we say about 1619 that year? Well, it represented the first time African uh, Africans were introduced as indentured servants into an English-speaking permanent colony in an area that would become the United States. There we go. The end of the lie. So that's why I titled this message, Reversing the Lie. I am way out of time, but this is Dawn Noble. You can go to www.pureheart.today and listen to this podcast again. You can download the iHeartRadio app, go to Pure Heart Ministries and listen as well. Look, I am looking forward to being with you next week. I really am. So I'm encouraging you to listen to this message again. It's well worth doing so. So this is Dawn Noble. Shalom, shalom. Peace be unto you.